0: Welcome to CIO Leadership Live UK. I'm Lee Rennick, Executive Director of CIO Communities for CIO.com. And I'm very pleased to welcome Graham O'Sullivan, CIO of One Family. So, Graham, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your current role.
1: Thank you, Lee. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really, really pleased to be here. Uh, as you say, I'm CIO of One Family. Uh, One Family is a UK financial services organization. But what's really interesting about us is we are also a mutual which means our 2 million customers are also our members uh, and so have a very strong voice in, in how we operate as an organization. We operate broadly in the space of savings and investments. We're actually the largest provider of children's savings in the United Kingdom. Uh, we also operate, of course, in the adult savings space uh, and our other huge area of focus is protection and we are top five in over 50s uh, life insurance in the uk uh, and as an organization of 700 strong uh you know that, that we definitely punch above our weight in what we do
0: fantastic thanks for sharing that i know when we met before you know you were telling me about the organization and your role and just all of the work that you've done and bringing shareholder and stakeholder value. So I really appreciate you joining us to here today, Graham. And, you know, we've created this re- series really to support technology leaders in their own tech and leadership journey. And so the first question I ask everyone, I'm going to ask you this question. Can you please tell us a little bit about your own career road path and, you know, any tips on that road path or any lessons that learned that you could share?
1: Sure. Uh, so it's been broadly 25 years, almost 25 years in financial services, and I, I hope not to, you uh, you too long a version on that but uh, i started my career in investment banking it uh very much working on the edge of trade floors i spent my first 11 years working at citigroup which at that point in time was in a really interesting space number one it had become the biggest bank in the world it also had the dubious claim at that point in time of having more software developers than microsoft so it was a massive operation Wow! Uh, and citigroup and beyond i spent a lot of my career on looking at uh, legacy technology stacks looking at very very large systems that have been around far too long have become critical uh, and and both been involved in terms of designing the next system to replace those platforms the migration activities to safely migrate customers and data away and onto the new platform and then the challenge of decommissioning as well so i mean looking at systems that in my early days had been around for, for for the best part of four decades Uh, I I worked with a legacy system that was written with a a little tablet rather than actual keyboard. I mean, you know, lots and lots of operational challenges going on from there. I've worked in regulatory change for a number of years. I've worked in data and analytics as well for another UK financial services organization. But the common theme of what I've done all the way through is looking at those challenges of transformation. How do we transform both in terms of technology and in terms of data to, to take a business forward? In terms of lessons I, I think the first thing is you know i, I remember listening to uh conversations like these in, at points in my career and you're looking for that that secret sauce what is the thing i need to do and i'll write that down i'll do it and everything will yeah. be okay I, I think um one thing is uh you know i think it's more about the journey so for me it is around master the job in front of you that that's probably the key bit of advice i have give to anybody because That's where the conversation begins. That's where you start to get noticed. That's where people start to talk about you. And that's where people start to keep you in mind for things. But on the flip side, the other thing I would say is is, is keep an ear out for those opportunities. And one of the ways opportunities I've found have presented themselves is where you're sitting in a conversation and someone says, we have this problem. It keeps getting batted around. No one seems to be able to tackle it and sort it out. That is rich opportunity space. Uh, and, and quite often the makings of of next steps in one's career as well.
0: I love that. I love that thinking and advice around just you know being able to listen and contribute and be a part of that whole discussion and conversation because I think often we hold ourselves back sometimes for doing it for various reasons, right? So uh, I appreciate you sharing that with me. So you did talk about you know your career and. Um, really wanted to jump into talking about something we chatted about a few weeks ago, and that was digital monetization and legacy systems, which you just mentioned. And, you know, I speak a lot of, with a lot of CIOs and, th- you know, they're still we're talking still about digital modernization, right? Digital transformation and processes, cloud, all of this stuff. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about your work there and, and just, you know, maybe share some thoughts or ideas around best approaches around it?
1: Well, I've been involved, as I said, in transformation for a long time, and I've done it in investment banking, I've done it in retail banking, I've done it now in a financial mutual. Uh, and the pattern is broadly similar that I think it generally starts with a recognition, we have a problem, be it the technology stack, be it the business processes it's supporting, be it a need to innovate and change, because the the products uh, are demanding that innovation. But my my, my most general observations are one is being very, very clear on business outcomes. And that sounds completely cliched. But if I look at the modernization program that we initiated when I came to One Family, we initiated that in terms of initial fact find and RFI in mid to late 2019. And obviously, a lot of stuff ensued after the end of 2019. So yeah. uh, I, I think with the deepest sense of blood, sweat, and tears, having an absolutely watertight business case. So we had a business case that survived a pandemic, it survived a significant acquisition, uh, and also it survived uh, three uh, different chief executives who, who, of course, you need your chief exec to be bought in to that vision. So a, a hell of a lot of change, and then some. But the point being that we always had that piece of paper to go back and point to and say, that is why we are doing this. So the people involved may change, but the endeavor was the same and the outcome and the the true north was the same so, so that would be my first observation the other one um and i've seen uh, the modernization and the transformation journey tackled both ways which is one and it depends on your i suppose circumstances but one is do you need to go front to back and transform everything or can you overlay and do something alongside or do something differently so one of the great places i've seen that is in my time working uh, through data transformation Uh, which is almost, particularly for the larger financial services firms, okay, we have a backbone of these uh, mainframe systems. Uh, We could spend the next 10 years trying to understand these, got limited SME pool, or we could keep these in maintenance mode and actually do some real-time analytics, do some data management in a cloud data warehouse, do something abstracted from the the core transaction system. And then, of course, there is those times where there is clearly a need to transform. So that example I gave you where, the, the global trading platform was using a, a kind of a tablet entry rather than a keyboard. Yeah. The firm making those tablets went bust or they closed down. Right. Uh, so you'd have, you'd have a, you'd have an internal stakeholder in New York uh, who'd call up Puerto Rico or call up London and say, we right. heard got a spare tablet. Can you send it? <laughs> we know, need a tablet. <laughs> Sometimes there's no avoiding the problem. Yeah. So, so I think, I, I think that the other thing I would say is, I mean, our modernization of one family has been an entirely digital transformation. So, you speak to anyone across their business and they'll say it's our modernization program. They won't say it's the IT modernization program. They won't say it's just the customer services. It's enterprise-wide. But some of the things we've done around that is I think you, you've you got to make it real for people. So it's one thing to roll out the new tool set. But actually, are you speaking to a new ways of working, a new culture? This very uh, colorful background behind me is not a Zoom virtual background. This is our uh, one of our rooms in our refurbished building. So... You know, we're changing business processes, but we're also changing that experience for employees coming into the building, as well as those working from home, to say this is about a different way of doing things. Because what we're trying to do is create, as a digital transformation generally is, that self-serve experience for our customers, Mm. but equally, we have our people and our team here particularly to help those who maybe the digital journey is either not native for them or they have additional needs and need that additional support.
0: Yeah. And we talked about that last time, just about the self-serve aspect for your clients and your customers, you know, and how you have customers who are just, you know, coming of age to have access to the, their funds and, and that type of thing, and, and they are, you've created this whole new customer journey. So it sounds like a full digital transformation. But like you mentioned, you're following the north north star, which you know a number of CIOs are talking about. What's our business plan? How are we following it? How does that stay stable through any changes we might have, like CEOs changing or you know that type of thing? And it sounds like you've really accomplished that so incredibly well. So congratulations for that.
1: Thank you. I mean, you know, I think to be fair, at the very outset of that, as you said, this child trust fund uh, piece and the fact that, so so for those who don't know, in the mid-noughties, the UK government uh, launched a scheme where every child born between a certain period of years was given a voucher for £250 to invest in the stock market. Uh, So there was a situation where we had a cohort of customers, a very large number of customers becoming our customers. We couldn't engage with all of them directly they were children until they turned 18 but we knew they wanted a digital journey so it's not like we sat here with a magical crystal ball and said let's transform and modernize the imperative was knocking on the door loudly saying what are you going to do now for us that was a great use case because presented a lot of challenges how do we do that self-serve digital journey but equally uh, serve the rest of our customers but it gave us that confidence to say you know what this is the right way to go. And let's let's look across the rest of our product set and do more of this.
0: Amazing, congratulations. So, okay, let's now move to the next quest question, which is really tying into this very well, because it's about, you know, continuing to talk about innovation, but really obviously, you know, gen AI and large language models are so prevalent in discussions I'm having around innovation, around technology. Uh, I, the other day had to change a travel arrangement and I got my first AI chatbot, and I was thrilled at how absolutely incredible it was but then i was scared at the same time because you know i didn't have to talk to a human and all of those things so um could you share your views on gen ai and large language models and perhaps you know the ways you might be looking at deploying them or what you might be seeing in market what trends are you seeing
1: well i feel like coming full circle because my uh, background is electronic engineering and i spent my final year a lot of that time in a lab playing with algorithms on edge detection and vision systems and you know, down to matrix multiplication, really root level of, of what was at that time, the early uh, I suppose, right. AI paradigm. Um, so a, a couple of observations, and, and, and I suppose, I've tried to be pragmatic. I'm hugely excited about the tech. I mean, that that's the headline. But I, I think the marketing teams have done an incredibly good job. So it's almost like the days as a technologist have kind of and for me, when I started my career on the edge of a trade floor, it's kind of tentatively walking up to the end user and saying, right. I have some things you might want to look at. Right. So the, the sales pitch is done, right? I think the, the, the capability, the potential is there. It's, it's, it, there's a broad public awareness perception. I think the challenge and the conversation shift for me is actually, uh, you know, this isn't unique uh, hot take insight, but how do you actually make an enterprise, safe enterprise solution out of these incredible things that in terms of Gen AI, Gen AI are creating brand new original content. So I loved what I read recently around Gen AI. I think it was Microsoft's words, uh, which said uh, Chachi BT can create fantastic recipes to cook with, which right. may or may not make for a tasty meal. And <laughs> right. I think that for <laughs> anyone so- is the entire health warning uh, that one that. needs. But I... I think uh, I think around a few levels in terms of enterprise adoption. So I think number one is safety, right? So we talk about a large language model generating new and original content to put that in front of a customer and have them answer emails or have them answer even even a phone call on an IVR. There's a lot of consideration around there, uh, around uh, you know appropriateness of the responses and the parameters yeah. and how that model is trained. I think the second one and and related to that is data quality. So I think traditional AI, uh, data quality has always been a challenge. I I ran a data quality program for a large UK bank for three years where I had a very, very large amount of money, let's put it that way, but millions and millions of pounds just to solve data quality problems. And when I stepped away from that program, one of the last discussions I had with the business and with the, uh, the finance function was, we've been doing this for four years as an investment program. The headline is data quality is not going away. There's going to be work every year. So let's make this BAU. Let's make this a continual discipline, which is what the organization did. If we look at large language models, if we look at Silicon Valley, they're all over data, knowledge graphs, ontology, data quality. We know in financial services and in a lot of verticals, uh, organizations serving customers, we have a whole slew of data quality challenges and data challenges. So is there enough data to serve that outcome? Is the data quality up to scratch? Does it need to be augmented with synthetic data? Things like that. I think there's a whole piece around uh, data quality. The third one I would say and final is solutions. So uh, if you go to a conference right now, every niche vendor seems to have LLMs cracked, right? They, they've done it. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Um, but obviously we look at the, the proprietary technologies uh, in terms of open AI, it's not been out that long. So I think what we're seeing is there, there's, there's a degree of rushing in to say we have something, um, and, but I think, I think for organizations, my lesson from doing a bit of deep dive over the last couple of months is really about looking probably initially at the large enterprise players. So yeah. the large enterprise players have done a lot of work. They've pre-trained models. They've pre-trained broad, broader uh, AI services as well as large language models, which are very, very easy to use in a cloud-based context. So yeah. I think there's a lot organizations are going to be able to do for themselves. I think it's really, really great that Microsoft have announced the removal of that floor, for example, on uh, Copilot 365, that you don't have to have 300 licenses, because I think there was a risk that was playing into medium and large scale organizations only. And then the interesting piece, I think for open source is probably six, nine months behind in terms of catch up, but th- there's probably a play into open source uh, in due course as well. But I think, you know, I'd certainly encourage peers and other organizations to be eyes wide open uh, someone comes and says, "Look at this thing we've done. What have they really built before they sell it to you at a premium, or have they just wrapped one of those enterprise services with some branding and content? And actually, now the hard work begins in terms of safety, data quality, and how you implement it in your
0: environment." That is really, really good advice. And you know, going back to our first question around you know your career journey, obviously starting off in engineering, you know, you've had that scope of being able to watch all of these technologies move along and be you know developed. And um, so I think that that's fantastic advice and certainly uh, I, what I see in market happening right now as well, too. Well, I really thank you so much for joining us here today, Graham. It was real, really a pleasure, yeah, pleasure. interviewing you. Um, and if you're interested in viewing this video or others, don't hesitate to hop on over to CIO.com front slash UK. You can find the interview there. Thanks again, Graham.
1: Thank you so much, Lee. Good to see you.